0: Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, I'm joined by a friend of mine of a couple years now, Thomas McGonkey, who is author of the new book, Navigating the Mormon Faith Crisis. And it's a really beautiful book, Tom. Uh, And welcome to um, The Daily Evolver.
1: Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate that. It's good to be here. Yeah.
0: So you're in wintry Salt Lake City today?
1: Yeah, it's a cold one today.
0: Yeah. Well, Tom, you and I met in Salt Lake City actually probably, I think, two years ago now. We were at Diane Hamilton's Zen retreat. And of course, there's <laughs> always a lot of integral practitioners there as well. And so, you know, we talked about adult development and integral theory and Zen and. And, and and it turns out that you are a Mormon, and that was so fascinating to me. I'm not sure I'd ever actually met and become friends with a real live Mormon before, so that was really <laughs> very cool. And <laughs> so I thought I would uh, maybe start the conversation by catching people up here and, and just ask you to tell a little bit of your story and how you came to write this, uh, really, as I said, very, very beautiful book.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Well, I'm smiling, and you know, I look back at that conversation we had in Salt Lake a couple of years ago. And if you remember, it was a really picturesque night—just big, fluffy snowflakes falling. With yes. all, you know, Terry Patton and the gang walking around Temple Square. Yes. As I was preaching the Mormon gospel. Yes. <laughs> was, it was a really. It beautiful was a magical,
0: and, yeah, magical it, night indeed. It
1: was, it was right out of a storybook. I'm so happy we could continue the conversation. So for me, you know, I grew up in a very religious, a very Mormon family here in Salt Lake City. And, you know, it was at quite a young age that I felt like I just didn't fit in all that well. Um, I was about 13 years old when I said, you know what, enough of this. And I think in any other part of secularizing America, you know, for a 13-year-old to say, I'm not into going to church on Sunday, it would be a normal enough thing. But it was, you know, a, it was a dramatic act of rebellion wow. where I came from. I mean, no one, no one of all my, you know, 16 aunts and uncles and 90 first cousins had, you know, ever uttered <laughs> such words. And so, I mean, it's very transgressive to say, I'm, I'm not doing this Mormon thing. And, it, you know, it, it was followed by really painful years with my family, with my extended family, with my community. I mean, I, I grew up, I went to an elementary school where probably 98% of the kids were Mormons. That's just the world I grew up in. Yeah. And so to, to leave that was quite painful. And yet, what I found is I got into more Eastern practice, you know, in my teenage years, that, uh, you know, there were deep seeds planted in me from my tradition. And so in my own way, as much as I could, I stayed close. You know, I'd read, I read, c- I couldn't get enough uh, of, you know, books on the historical Jesus and, you know, reading about the historical figure, Joseph Smith, who, right. who founded and restored the church, uh, the Mormon church. Um, you know, if so I stayed close in my own way and, uh There are a lot of other things I could talk about in terms of my path, you know, back to really engaging the tradition. I just, uh, well, why don't I start with, it was a, it was an encounter with Sasaki Roshi at Mount Baldy. Um, he was my teacher for years before he passed away. Uh And I, I just had the most bizarre, ordinary experience that was really no experience at all. You know, back when I was uh, in my early thirties, a few years ago. And, uh, I remember coming down the mountain from that session, the week-long intensive with him, just feeling like somehow my life was never going to be the same. I was mm-hmm. never going to be the same, and it was weeks later where I was just sitting on a Mormon pew again. I'm back at church, just
0: looking around, thinking, "This is strange." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just felt and, really and did involved. somewhere along the line, you got into integral theory as well, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in my mid-20s. Actually, my first meditation teacher, who I'm still really close to, was a great admirer of Ken Wilber. And, you know, I, I think he sensed my ripeness for that kind of literature. And, uh, you know, he hands me the uh, unassuming sex ecology spirituality. <laughs> and I actually made my way through it a couple of yeah. times. And I, I just really was moved by integral theory. And I you know, really loved Ken for all of his work.
0: Well, so much so that you are a you're a pro, man. I mean, well, you're. I don't know about that. Well, but you're, you 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 work on the faculty of the Generating Transformative Change Program, the the Pacific Integral Program, and do have done a lot of work in the integral field. So, you know, I want to put that on the table.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I I really admire uh, my colleagues at Pacific Integral. I think they're just pioneers in this field of adult development and, you know, not uh, irrevel- irrelevant to our call is my experience that I had at GTC. I, I was a participant um, just uh, a few years ago in GTC and it was in one of the exercises we were doing at GTC, you know, the, the facilitators just dropped me into this deep place and we were holding an intention to, you know, bring forward our life's work, you know, more, uh, profound way. And that that's where I just had this dramatic encounter with, you know, the spirit of Mormonism. Yeah. I knew in that moment that, you know, I would be doing work in this tradition again. So wow. I, I have those guys to thank as much as anybody for helping, you know, carve this path for me.
0: Yeah, well, it's a, I was going to say it's an off-trod path, uh, <laughs> but actually, perhaps not. It, it is by integralists, I think. A lot of us listening here to you. I mean, I relate to it. I, I did the same thing at thirteen. I became a heretic and a and a mouthy one. I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I stood up for my atheism at thirteen and and yeah. then into the Eastern religions and into the New Age and and then finding Ken and, and integral theory. And then yeah. finding my way back actually, because, you know, I just that 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 my Christian uh, religion was installed in me. And, yeah. and then there you you find your way back, and there you are a few years ago in your early 30s on the pews of the Mormon church with, with, with all of this now online. So how do you navigate that? I mean, if I may borrow the title of your book, Navigating Mormon Faith Crises. <laughs> and, and actually, I got to say, um, what I love about your book is the Mormon part is interesting to me because, you know, I, as I said, it's kind of exotic to the rest of us, you, you people. That's right. You know, but um, actually, it was, you know, a wonderful integral education for me to read. It is just a beautiful exposition of the whole integral path, and. I, I knew I was in the presence of a true evolutionary, you know, a true integralist, where at the beginning you said, "For as long as there has been faith, there has been faith crisis. And hallelujah, absolutely. and yeah. And this is just the latest of them. And this is true, true of development in general. You know, I, I was just thinking this morning, if I read one more David Brooks column where he's bemoaning that people have lost faith in their institutions, yeah. I'm going to scream, you know, yeah. because that's what we do, we yeah. humans. We lose faith in our institutions. Thank God, you know. That, yeah. So that we Absolutely. can, you know, we lost faith in the monarchy. We've lost faith in all of, you know, and yeah. that it, it moves us forward. So I don't know where I'm going with that.
1: I, well, I love, I love what you're saying. If I can jump in, Jeff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm in. The best of company with another evolutionary here as well. And I look around me in Salt Lake City. I grew up here. I have my friends are here. My family's here. And uh, what you could call a faith crisis is unmistakable and it's implacable. It's unrelenting. Yeah. You know, more and more people are starting to question the stories that were passed down to them. And so, you know, like you pointed out with the, uh, the integral tools I had, I thought. What if we rebrand faith crisis, (laughs) redefine it and reappropriate it? And, you know, I I basically conclude at the end of the book, or I suggest that a faith crisis might just be a developmental upshift gone unrecognized. Yeah. And I hope that we can normalize this process of falling apart and coming back together again as new beings that see the world and experience ourselves in a new way.
0: Hallelujah, man. Yeah. yeah. So with that said, how would you describe the current faith crisis that we all hear so much about? I mean, it's on the cover of the magazines. It's, you know, it's 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 become, uh, you know, part of our, our culture that, that this is happening in the Mormon Church. It's happening in other denominations as well, but the Mormon Church has a particular flavor to it that uh, I ask you to give us a little insight into. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'd love to. Well, you know, I look at the last 10 years or so. And again, you know, I've been living in Asia and Europe and traveling, and I haven't been, you know, in the trenches all of my life, um, you know, the last 35 years. But what I see in the last 10 years or so is a real reckoning with Mormon history. And, you know, for those who are listening here, you may know something about Mormon history and that it's peculiar, right? A, A set of golden plates buried in, you know, a hill in upstate New York, and a young boy uh, has a visitation from an angel telling him where to find these plates and how to translate them from an ancient language. And that's the founding story of the LDS Church. And there are more and more people now saying, you know, where are the plates? Where's the evidence? And, oh, it just so happens that we learned that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, you know, during the time he was a prophet. And, you know, we haven't talked much about that in the last 180 years. Like, what's that all about? It's it's just so interesting. I mean, in a sense, in a developmental sense, it's right on time. Because as we move into these later stages, um, uh, you know, a thorough analysis of what information and data is available is just how we flex our developmental muscles. We need to know the facts and we need to start to marry faith with reason. Yeah, and I see
0: that happening. Well, I mean, isn't the it true that in some ways Mormonism has a, a harder challenge because your mythic claims are yeah. more recent. You know yeah, right. the, the, yeah. the 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 typical Christianity, our our, our mythic claims are two thousand years old or older. That's right. And so yeah. it's a lot easier to fudge that. But when you talk that's about, right. you know, thousands of tribesmen in in Northeastern United States, and there's no archaeological evidence for it. That's a problem.
1: It, it's a problem, and there are there are people in this valley where I speak to you from who would vehemently disagree with what you said that there isn't evidence. Oh, okay. And that's what's so fascinating. There are people who pile up evidence on both sides, and right. they pile up different kinds of evidence in service of their perspectives. But I mean, it's really it's a uh, it's holy war here. Yeah, is it in the Salt Lake Valley in some ways?
0: Yeah. So, you walk back into that now with a bigger mind, let's assume. Um, and so, you see the different strains that are, you know, struggling. And yeah. you, you lay them out actually beautifully in your book. And maybe we could just walk up the developmental um, scale and see how it relates to what the Mormon church is going through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I'll say about the book, I mean, th- this is what I'm excited to talk to the integral community about. Um, you know, Mormonism and Mormon culture is quite conservative. Yeah. You know, if we were going to talk about spiral dynamics or developmental stages, we've got a lot of traditional amber. And, you know, we've got a lot of the, you know, early uh, expert and achiever stages to use, you know, the Lovinger, uh, Cook, Reuter. Mm -hmm. kind of language. Um, So to introduce development, which comes more at peel, which comes more at the autonomous stage, um, how do you do that? How do you translate something that is by definition um, over the heads of people you really want to communicate with and do it in a loving way that that can help alleviate a lot of the suffering going on right now. So I, I say that just to introduce the book a little bit, but I wrote it as a primer to development. I wrote it, you know, assuming that people had no understanding of development, no prior relationship with it. And that was beautiful because that, to really simplify development and distill yeah. it into its essence, that was, I learned a lot.
0: Well, and, you know, and you have your little call-outs and your um, illustrations, and it's a, it's a nice easy read in that way.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's the feedback we're getting. I mean, people who would have never come across adult development otherwise, or, you know, not for the next 20 years, they're picking this thing up and saying, ah, I've got a lot of questions about adult development now. And I went on some websites, what Pacific integral and who's Ken Wilber? And it is fascinating, really conservative Christians in this little pocket and Salt Lake Valley are asking these questions. It's it's a it's
0: a howl. Yeah, no, I've seen some of the reviews. It's it is fun to see. <laughs> I actually wanted to read uh, just a part of a paragraph you wrote because I thought it, you're really a beautiful writer, Tom. I'll oh, suggest. You, you bet. And and this is just a description of development. It has necess- not nothing necessarily to do with Mormonism, but it's so well said. You write. The study of positive adult development can provide us with some reliable signage, speed limits, detours, road work ahead. It can help us better tolerate the feeling that we're lost. What we may discover is that we haven't taken a wrong turn, but have simply driven off the edge of our current map. That's amazing. That's That's so well said. And (laughs) then you go on, when we press on, we might start to discover the places where the tourists thin out and the landscapes wax more exotic. And that, too, is just the story of human development. We just keep driving off our maps.
1: That's absolutely right. And that's a a metaphor I try to extend in different parts of the book, just to give people a frame of reference. So a lot of people feel like they're about to step off the broad side of a cliff. If they leave Mormonism, if they take a sabbatical, they just you know, they've been taught their whole lives that they're supposed to be in relationship with it in a certain way. And I hope this book is the beginning of a conversation and a culture where we can really celebrate growth and support it from within.
0: Right. Well, I think so. And so if we can walk through a bit, so let's walk up the developmental path uh, as you lay it out in your book, starting with what we uh, Wilberians would call the Amber Altitude or the traditionalist stage of development, I think. And that's where the Mormon religion sort of comes into form, right? Historically.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a strong influence. I mean, as you know, you're an avid student of development yourself. Um, You know, there are often multiple stages present in an individual, in a collective, an institution, but certainly when you just look at the surface of Mormonism, Amber, you know, seems to be the strong center of gravity from a collective standpoint.
0: Right. And that's where a lot of Mormons are still. would, would, Would you say that's where the center of gravity of the religion is now, maybe the American version of it?
1: I have opinions about this, and, you know, we can go as far down this rabbit hole as you want, but <laughs> what, I, what I see a lot of in Mormon culture right now, I see people, I see the institution in a, a late expert phase, early achiever phase. That, that's where I see the collective characteristics. Okay. So and that would be more what young. we would
0: call orange.
1: That's right. Yeah, the that's modernist orange. stage. But, you know, the center of gravity, it doesn't mean that there's not a, a powerful... Uh, amber anchor beneath it because when we look at the, you know, the way we get together and dress alike and talk alike there are very strong amber characteristics. So there's, it's, I would say it's in that spread. We see different features of these stages, you know, you know, from amber through orange right now.
0: Right. And it was fun actually being in Salt Lake City because I hadn't spent a lot of time there and we were right downtown. So, you know, going to Mormon square, going to the food court in the mall, um, it's different, you know you see lots of kids. You don't see kids in Boulder, not right. like that and <laughs> and yet you know everybody's perfectly modern. It's not like anybody you know the women are wearing bonnets or long dresses. everybody's you know decked out, <laughs> looking good, looking sharp. yeah you know yeah. so it, it definitely has uh, spans that range in a very interesting and, and wholesome kind of happy way. I liked it, yeah.
1: And, you know, while we're talking about this, what you just said is so significant, and it's a theme I really tried to do justice to in the book. But we talk, in the world of development, we talk about growing up. We talk about, you know, uh, vertical development, moving from one stage to a later stage. And that's important, and it's powerful, and I believe humanity will be the richer for integrating that into, you know, the uh, the societies that, you know, we organize. Um I wish we talked more about the integration aspect. I wish yeah. we talked more about growing down. And you just pointed to it. What does it mean to be in a modern world that has deeply integrated amber value? That's right. And I, I do think Mormon culture does that in some beautiful ways. I that do too. We can learn from.
0: Absolutely. No, that, that there's something very magnetic about that that I noticed and, and was nourished by. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay, so we start with you know that traditional stage, the the, the what you would refer to as the diplomat stage, and uh, what are the qualities there?
1: Yeah, so how about just for a twist? I'm going to speak from the first person here, like I, cool. you know, I am going to speak from my own you know diplomat experiences, you know, as it was the first came to me in yeah. my development, and you know we can build out from there. But yeah.
0: like a true integralist, know, Tom.
1: Yeah. yeah, so I, I think about my my grandfather uh, was actually a leader in the church when he was alive, and um, it was said in the family that uh, he, he had the power of healing. Mm-hmm. And I remember at an early age, I was probably 10 years old, I was as sick with the flu as I'd ever been. And this man, who's just a simple man who owned a meat market, you know, just a blue-collar businessman, and uh, he was called into this role of service in the church. And he, I really saw him change in his life, you know, through the influence of what we'd call the Spirit. Yeah. And I remember it still so clearly when, you know, my parents called him. It was either call my granddad and have him come give me a priesthood blessing or take little Tommy to the emergency room.
2: Hmm. And
1: this man came and gave me a blessing. And I just felt this potent spirit flow through him. And I felt my body healed instantaneously as wow. a young boy. And that's, that experience has never left me. And I, I'm, even as I share it now, I'm just present to the power of spirit that flows through us and the beautiful way the, the Mormon tradition gives shape to that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow. And that is still going on. Absolutely. So,
1: in the way of qualities at, the, at this stage, you know, there's this sense of profound belonging. You know, like we belong to our family, we belong to our culture. It is of God. You know, we didn't make this stuff up. God told us what's so. And you know, there's there's real power and strength in that. Hmm.
0: Inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comfort. And also, I think from an integral perspective, it's true. You know, know, God God did create this world and us and for, you know, each other. And, um, you know, I I don't believe that mythically anymore. You know, I don't believe the mythic story literally anymore. But there's a truth beyond accuracy. There's a capital T truth to it that is mysterious, but damn, it's real. And I'm just working, you know, I'm just sort of getting that now in, in my, you know, old age. Yeah, that's right. If I
1: can, let me build a little integral bridge here because what you said is really important. Um, You know, not believing it literally anymore. I mean, we know looking at development that there is concrete development. We know that there's more subtle development that characterizes most of adulthood. We know, you know, from Kugreuer's brilliant research in post autonomous development, Terry O'Fallon's causal tier, we know that there's something that comes after the subtle, something more akin to spirit. For me, like to say that something's literal, I mean, you also have to specify on what plane are you saying that it's literal? (laughs) Did it happen on the concrete tier? I don't know. Did it happen on the subtle tier? Most certainly it's happening, right? So to me, you know, the literal and the metaphorical, they're actually the same thing in a really deep sense.
0: Right on. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful and well said. All right. So we move then from the diplomat stage to the expert stage. And this would be in the Wilberian system moving into the orange modern stage.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, in an O'Fallon model, it's the early part of the orange stage, uh, followed by the late stage in orange, which is Achiever. Right. But, you know, the expert, this is a time in life, you know, everyone listening can think back to this time when it started to appear but I certainly remember around age twelve, thirteen, fourteen. You know, these new thoughts, these new feelings were coming into my experience, and I just could hardly imagine where they were coming from. I <laughs> felt like I was swimming in this new identity, and uh, you know, there's the hormonal bomb of adolescence, and there are these you know uh, lofty uh, proto-philosophical thoughts of the teenager and. You know, that's where I really pushed back to my tradition and said, like, where's the evidence? Like, right. who said this is true? And, I, you know, I think that's right on time, developmentally. I yeah. think that's how it goes for most of us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's the early part of 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 modernity, if you will, or the yeah. expert stage. And then we move into the achiever stage, which is uh, the later part of, of the orange stage. And the quality there is...
1: Well, you know, to I mean, to say it succinctly, I think uh, Achiever or this, you know, mature aspect of the Orange level, uh, we do a lot of goal setting. We, we're, we're more established in our individualized kind of subtle identity. And I say subtle identity to distinguish it from, you know, a more concrete identity that comes up at Amber. I mean, we're individuals at Amber, but in a concrete way. Here in Orange, we're individualized, subtle way. We have our own Thoughts. We have our own values, mm-hmm. and we have the we have the capacity to work out and defend why we value something, right? And um, why we spend our time, our lives doing what we do. An example that comes to mind: you think of the Jeffersonian Bible, where he systematically, you know, went through the. Uh, the King James Bible with an exacto knife, if right. I understand correctly. And he edited out, you know, most of the supernatural content and focused on just the virtues of the man Jesus. And that's that's such a great example of, you know, what someone at this stage right. would want to do, like really personalize the gospel and, and, you know, demystify it, take the magic out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, you point out really a couple roads that you can take. Uh, I think you and I both... Um, sort of rejected it at at 13 and said, how could this be true? I mean, from speaking for myself, I just became a militant atheist for a a good number of years there after that. Uh, But there's also a way of going through this stage where you don't totally lose your religion. Hmm. Am I right? Or what do you think?
1: Oh, and we, you know, we've talked about this before, Jeff. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, it, uh, You know, early orange, later orange. Uh, I'm looking at the green meme. I'm looking at the individualist, the pluralist. And I see, I go to church with Latter day Saints that run the whole spectrum, you know, Mm -hmm. literally the whole spectrum. And I'm fascinated by the question, you know, why do some stay? Why do some go? Right. Um, I'm doing research on the Mormon population right now, and uh, I'm fascinated to see over the years, you know, how you know, church identity, church activity, and involvement corresponds to the stages. I I think we'd like to believe that, you know, or or rather, you know, the part of us that tends to simplify would love to think like, oh, when we get to this stage, you know, religion is, we're over and done with it. But I, that's not what I'm seeing in the population right now. It's so interesting.
0: Really? So you have, so you're a millennial and, you know, (laughs) millennials are sort of effortlessly orange, you know? And and green. It's not green. Yeah, it's not green. Exactly. So how do um, they relate to this problem of evidence and the you know the scientific, the problem of you know reason and and being post 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 mythical and all of that yeah. in, in the Mormon in the Mormon context.
1: That's right. That's such an interesting question. I look at um, you know, there's there's something about inertia too. Uh, somebody who was. Socialized as a Mormon 30 years ago. Maybe they developmentally they're later now, but they've got so much inertia. They just lived their lives in this culture that they, they just start to serve it from a later stage. They've moved, let's say, beyond the cultural center of gravity, and they're just very humble Christian servants who are involved to help other people grow like they have. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful kind of. Uh, example of service I see in the church now, mm-hmm. it's not common. I don't think there are a lot of later stage people who feel the support or the patience to stick around and help with the spiral and the conveyor belt, but I hope to see more of that. Yeah. And, and to your point about millennials, um, you know they don't have the same inertia. They haven't necessarily spent decades in the Mormon church, so they're hitting these orange stages, green stages earlier, and mm. a lot of them Good are packing point. their bags. Really, huh? That's what I see. I, I, I think we are all but hemorrhaging younger members. There mm-hmm. aren't strong numbers to support that, or I don't have access to them, but that's my anecdotal
0: evidence. Right. You know. Now, that wouldn't be true in, um, you know, earlier cultures, like if you think of Mormonism in Africa, or in, in earlier stages, earlier stage cultures. Um, it's a whole different ballgame, right?
1: Y- yes, yet another complexity that, you know, the, the Mormon Church is still growing, uh, quite rapidly uh, on the African continent and South America,
0: and then you because it offers a great sort of traditionalist container and
1: yeah, you know. developmentally appropriate, yeah. you could say yeah. yeah. Cool. Whereas you go to the Bay Area, you know, an LGBT Mormon group gathering and talking about the latest, you know, policies <laughs> on on gay marriage in the church, and right. you get a very different picture there. You know than you would in sub-Saharan Africa. And yeah. So, so would uh,
0: those would yeah. those folks be in? Uh, would they be oppositional to the church, or do they, do they are their hearts still there? How do they navigate that?
1: You uh, the uh, the postmodern. Yeah. Crowd, the, yeah. Yeah. The
0: green Mormons.
1: I, I see different things. Um, their hearts are there for sure. I mean, even the people who are um, maybe most vitriolic. <laughs> towards the church and um, have major issues with its governance and, you know, the direction it's heading in, their hearts are in it, right? Because back to, you know, this amber stage that we all share, you know, in our collective development, there's potency in the gospel and Christianity and Mormonism. And these people have connected deeply with it. They care enough to stick around and complain. So I, I see intense loyalty and I also see, a petitioning and advocating for some new container to hold more of us in an appropriate way mm-hmm.
0: no that's that's well you know well said and and uh, interesting to, to to hear that their hearts are still in it many of them are and some of them
1: you know have left and distanced themselves yeah. But in my experience, even the ones who have left, um, they're still blogging on Mormon blogs and, you know, they're in all the issues. They're connected. They're deeply connected.
0: Right. You point out that uh, Mormonism, in a way, has a maybe an, an easier time with some of this than other religions, because Mormonism has a, a doctrine of uh, continual growth,
1: basically, and That's right. Ongoing revelation, we call it. The leaders can receive inspiration, and they can turn on a dime.
0: Yeah. And also, each of us as individuals. In my Christian faith, you die and you either go up or down, heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. And in Mormonism, it's a continued process of perfection through uh, celestial stages, if you will, right? That's right. Yeah. So you have a sort of a—it's interesting, because— you know, Joseph Smith was writing, what, 1800s?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he founded the church in 1830.
0: Yeah, so he had some scientific download, uh-huh. and maybe even an evolution—maybe this is sort of how the evolutionary view is expressed in Mormonism.
1: I, I absolutely think so. And, you know, his expression, Joseph Smith's expression tends to be more concrete Um, But if we get into a little subtlety here, you know, it's, we know, are people still referencing the Wilbur Combs lattice? Yeah. Okay, good. So we know that, you know, uh, one can experience a state at any given stage. So if Joseph Smith is at an earlier stage than integral, which I think he was, um, then there's still room to say that he, he was an inspira- he was in an inspirational state, you know, we could call it a causal state where, you know, his smaller self was kind of out of the way and something something absolute and transcendent could channel through him. So although his expression of it is concrete, the DNA of it is all of the cosmos. And so what I mean to say is that if you look at Mormonism, the expression currently remains fairly concrete. But the patterning of Mormonism, it it seems to resonate all the way up and down the spectrum.
0: And that with this doctrine of eternal progression.
1: Yes, the doctrine of eternal progression allows us to implement Mormonism at later and later stages, right? So the deep structure, the integral structure, if you will, you know, in in some cases I think that's very much there in the Mormon Church, and, uh, you know, I feel— it's built to grow and built to evolve as you're pointing to. And we also know that there's no guaranteed evolution. We don't know if Mormonism Mm -hmm. or Christianity will live out the century, Right. but I I'm I'm so compelled. I mean, just, just by need, you know, for all the people who are suffering right now in these transitions and these faith crises, you know, I, I I kind of just decided to double down and start to talk about this and advocate for that future of, uh, you know, a big tent, full-spectrum Zion.
0: Yeah. And how's it going? How's your book <laughs> been received?
1: Well, you agreed to talk to me, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How about uh, uh, the Mormons?
1: <laughs> well, really well. Surprisingly Really? Well. Yeah. Know, we've, we've sold a lot more books than we thought we would right out of the gate. And, you know, I've I've got invitations to speak at places I didn't think I could speak. And we're still really early in the game. We're four months in. Right. You know? So time will tell, but it, it feels like the people who are connecting with it and getting in touch and showing up in this community, that there's something about it that enlivens them. Right. You know, there's something that's just so intuitive and attractive about growth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the flavor? I mean, what, maybe we just go back to your first person, Tom. What's going on with you now? If we look at Tom McConkey's development, what, what do we see?
1: Oh boy, yeah, you're going right to where it counts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I think this is reflected in the book, all right, um, <clears throat> what I care about a lot right now. I, I talk about life, I experience life right now, and I write about it in the Mormon context as a dream with consequences, hmm. is my personal term for it. And it's, you know, it's a paradox, obviously, and that, you know, a dream we wake up from and, you know, no harm done, but somehow, <laughs> you know, somehow this human life here, what we experience as human life, it, it's very much a dream state, right? It's, it's, it's conjured up and given shape to by our own awareness. And, you know, the way we dream, the way we build systems and the way we construct meaning that has profound consequences on the people who live into these realities. Yeah. So as a Mormon, I'm really interested in honoring the full spectrum. I'm interested in really preserving the potency of the divine, or, or whatever anyone prefers to call it, but you know that which is most good and most true, uh, which is purifying and dignifying to us all, to really honor that and make no bones about it and to also create adequate structure for people who, you know, make meaning in the different stages, you know, somebody who has more of an atheistic bent, how can we honor their Mormonism? Um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who has integral sensibilities, what does a strategist or a teal Mormonism look like? Somebody who's beyond teal, somebody who's into uh, turquoise indigo and beyond, you know, what, is that experience to relate to this tradition from those levels? Mm-hmm. Those are those are the questions I'm just sitting in these days and you know letting move me.
0: Yeah. Do you think that Tom survives his death?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we should have agreed on these questions.
0: <laughs> I'm asking you the easy ones. Come on. No, just kidding. Yeah. No, but oh, it's man. you know, I mean wh- one of the things that's Really, kind of exciting to me about what little I know about Mormonism, and a lot of it I learned that night, walking around your museums and seeing your dioramas and all of the amazing yeah. stuff in Mormon Square, um, yeah. or what Temple Square, sorry, um, that there is a Jeff that is not only, um, you know, not only can I touch. Infinity and eternity in this moment. I've had the realization that my individual time and space is arising in a timeless and infinite dimension. So, absolute reality and all of that stuff. But so there's that. And that's, of course, the fruit of a lot of my Eastern practice and Buddhist practice. But that there's also, you know, that faith of my childhood where Jeff is an immortal person. And a being and a personality, and there's there's something about Jeff that survives this life, and that there is a process of continued perfection, uh, continued evolution of Jeff, yeah, that goes from lifetime to lifetime in some way, and Mormonism has that all mapped out beautifully. And um, so you know, how does that translate for you?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you bring this up. I mean, it's uh it's the beating heart of Mormon doctrine and theology in a sense. You know, what you're pointing to um, just to help the audience along, you know, Mormonisms talk about a plurality of gods and goddesses. And we talk about intelligences that were uh, in coexistence with uh, God before this earth life, and that will continue to evolve into the eternities after this life. And so, You know, to put that in a more, let's say, a Buddhist framework, I I code switch all the time. I have so much more experience as a Buddhist than a Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) They have to forgive me. But, you know, working with this polarity of the relative and the absolute, you know, you beautifully spoke to the absolute, that timeless, spaceless, eternal self. And there's also the relative. You know, there's the identity. And Mormonism somehow captures that paradox. Yeah. I've noticed that we tend in the integral community to talk about God as kind of this absolute unity. But, you know, from a deeper perspective, the unity is always going to include multiplicity. Yeah. So there's some mystery about how unity, God actually envelops and holds and gestates infinite gods and goddesses within it, within that principle. So there's something to that effect in Mormonism, and I'm I'm just compelled by the mystery.
0: I have not the faintest idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am too. I mean, w- w- where if if I look at the most significant spiritual moves for me in the last few years, it's been that I don't rule that out anymore. Yeah, you know that Jeff continues. I mean, I I knew I went went back in the soup. You know, or, and I thought there was soup. You know, I was yeah. I, I, I'd at least it got that far. But that there's a Jeffness that continues. And not only that, that Jeff is going to know Tom and that Tom's going yeah. to be there too. And that we yeah. actually move through, uh, move forward in a collective dimension as well as an individual dimension. And, and, and what's new for me there is that I don't rule that out anymore either. I'm not yeah. sure I rule it in, but I don't rule it out.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's gorgeous. Yeah, I love
2: that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Why not? You know, it sort of makes sense developmentally if we look at, you know, just this life, the one we're sure about. I mean, it's one Jeff after the next.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just inspired by what you're saying, Jeff. I, my experience, if I have an intuition around it, it's that, um, you know, what we know of and experience is the personality on a mundane level now, you know, um, what am I going to have for lunch? Is it time to pick up my dry cleaning? You know, those, those um, you know, disturbances of the personality will become more and more of a whisper and something that's uniquely yeah. beautiful to each individual soul, the virtue that manifests, the divine light that shines through these unique prisms. Something about that feels eternal to me.
0: Yeah, 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 I can feel it in this moment. Yeah. so what's next for you Tom you're, you got your book you're doing speaking um, you're you know, going to move the ball on, on this and uh, you know, see what happens and uh, you're working with Pacific Integral and just give us a little bit about where you're at, where you're going and even you know, how people can check out your work and keep up with you
1: yeah absolutely um, what am I up to right now I'm collecting protocols and doing developmental assessments on people in the Mormon population and just starting to get their stories, Hmm. as well as look at them, you know, where their stories come from, you know, from a more rigorous developmental perspective. And I hope to collect enough over the next several years that we can start to really flesh these worldviews out, these Mormonisms. Um, That's
0: something I'm really passionate about. Oh, that's so exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. so that's a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I didn't know that the book would be successful, <laughs> so I didn't have any plans. I didn't have any ambitions as a writer, as a career, but um, I'm working on another book that looks at you know, just the, uh, the patterns of uh, Christianity more broadly, the, the sacraments, the spiritual practices that we do, and look at how those might be transposed into later tiers of development, later stages. Right, to start to provide a little bit more of a supportive framework, uh, nourishment for people who are moving into later stages and you know, uh, don't want to leave. feel like it's a perfectly good home for them spiritually. I'm looking at how that unfolds. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, just uh, uh, teaching uh, at Pacific Integral in the GTC program, that is a joy. It's just incredible to get to work with individuals yeah, tell Hopefully us just a little bit GTC about that. that.
0: Do, a, do a little commercial for that. I'm, I'm very seriously considering signing up.
1: Yeah, you should. You know, I, and I, I understand that, you know, now that I am on payroll at Pacific Integral, there's a conflict of interest. But for the record, I, I have been gushing about Pacific Integral since the first day I learned about them. Um, I, I can't say enough good about the GTC program.
0: And that's the GTC means. You see, you said it earlier, generating
1: transformative change. Right. It's a nine-month uh, integrally informed transformative program. Um, it, it's inspired and it's inspiring. And the people who come through the program, are they do not leave the same person after nine months.
0: Do you think there's a developmental shift?
1: Oh, we know there is. I mean, we have... Going on 13 years of longitudinal data on all the participants on all three continents, we teach on. People shift stages, you know, and that that's the least of it. I mean, that's exciting, you know. But people are growing up; they're going down, sideways, wow, you know, backwards, frontwise. I mean, people are just expanding, and you know, that's the experiment. GTC is both a program and an evolutionary, you know, manifestation. The the, the container is constantly evolving, and we're just listening in and saying how we might really support and nourish, you know, the evolution of spirit as it shows up through
0: beautiful human beings. Wow. So when's the next uh, GTC program commence?
1: We are signing up. We've already signed up, people, for uh, October this coming year. So yeah, if you're considering it, Jeff, I want to see you there.
0: Yeah, I am am very seriously considering it. It's, um, uh, you know, there's not much that, um, I haven't done. Uh, yeah, and there's and there's not the the thing is there's there's not that much in the integral world. I mean, there's nothing in that I know of like this program, where it's you know a multi-month commitment, and it's you know squarely meant to land in the integral territory. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's
1: right. I think other people are starting to prototype and develop programs. Yeah. Um, specific integral. This program has deep roots. And, yeah, uh, the container is all greased up, ready to go.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so it's really an adventure. It's an amazing experience to really start to embody integral, um, and you know, to start to really uh, fill out you know these stages of development that we've read so much about, but we can really start to dance with and dance as. Yeah, as we right on. get into the territory.
0: Right on. And then how could people keep up with you? Uh, Do you have a website?
1: We've got a website. It's mormonstages.com. Oh, okay. As in the stages of development, mormonstages.com. We sell books there, and we're getting more educational material up there as we go. Um, But, yeah, that's our our web address. And uh, we're doing events all the time now, so you can sign up for the list and keep posted if you want to get involved.
0: All right. Well, Tom... Thank you so much for joining us and sharing the amazing insights uh, that you have around development in general. In your book, uh, Navigating—here it is—Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis, A Simple Developmental Map, uh, as I said, I, I think very illuminating in, in, in how it uh, opens up the Mormon faith to those of us who aren't so familiar with it but also is uh, a map of just human development that um, is, I think, a real contribution to people who are, um, you know, looking to grow. So thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right. Tom McConkie. Take care, Tom. Yeah,
1: thanks a lot. I appreciate it, You bet.